0: Hello everybody and welcome to the second edition of the Crable Letter podcast. I'm going to be talking today about volume one, number five, the December 2022 edition of the Crable Letter. I'm not going to read it to you. Uh, If you want to read the letter, go to crablegroup.com. There's a link over on the right. You can access the archives where you can see all all the issues and you can read it for yourself. But I'm going to tell you what I'm covering this one. The first article is called Customizations can cause no end of headaches. And the main takeaways are that a custom solution can distract you from your real business. You're spending time trying to build this thing rather than making your mittens or whatever it is you do. And if you're going to go the customization route, you really need to calculate the long-term costs and the potential problems with a custom solution. Now, there are, of course, situations where a custom solution is the right thing to do. And I don't want to distract from that. I just want to say, remember the downside, right? Off the shelf doesn't always work, but a custom solution can be great or it can cause you a lot of headaches. It puts you in the technology business. And, you know, if I work mostly with publishers and Publishers should stick to publishing when they can, right? They don't really want to be technology companies. It distracts you from your actual mission. There's no one and done. You know, once you build something, now you're going to have to support it. Now you're going to have to integrate it with other systems. Now you're going to have to deal with when Apple does an update or something, right? So you're you're constantly working on this custom solution. It interferes with your ability to integrate with other platforms because other platforms have integrations, with off-the-shelf solutions often. They don't have an integration with your solution. Now, think about four things before you go the custom route. You want to explain the problem very carefully and why and how your current solution is not meeting expectations. Be really honest about this. How bad is it really? Sometimes people bellyache a lot, but try to get down to brass tacks. How bad is your current solution? Distinguish necessary and whimsical customizations. Um, every item needs to justify itself custom is not an excuse to go crazy and do everything on the laundry list and everybody's wish list consider the virtue of simplicity even if it seems boring you know um, Apple and Amazon tried to make e-commerce very simple and they did things that uh, most fulfillment companies would say wait a minute that's not how you run fulfillment and they're right the fulfillment companies are right but Apple and Amazon made things much simpler, and maybe that was a benefit. Maybe not. Uh, document every customization. This is really important. Some At some point down the road, you're going to need to send the documentation for your custom system to a programmer in Romania to do some other thing. right? You need to make sure you document it so he understands what's going on. A longer version of this article will appear on the martech.org site in a couple of days. I'm Sorry, there's an embargo on it until it's been there for a few days. And then I'll, I'll post it on my site a little bit after that. Okay, so remember, custom technology solution can distract you from your real business. And there are a lot of costs that you need to take into account. Now, the second article is called, What if Programmatic Advertising Died? And this is based on Bob Hoffman's book called Ad Scam. Bob Hoffman's books are really funny. He's, he's a very, very clever guy. Uh, so re- read his book. Uh, that one's really good. And then marketers are from Mars, uh, consumers are from New Jersey is, is also really good. Be very suspicious of your programmatic ad spend and buy your ads from the people who display them. An interesting exercise in disaster planning is to imagine what would you do if all your sources of revenue disappeared? It's a a good thing to, you know, take take some time and take a walk in the park and think, what else could I do, right? Well, if Bob Hoffman is right, your programmatic revenue uh, or the benefit you're getting from taking out programmatic ads might have already disappeared and you didn't even notice it because it's all garbage. I often say that every business book I've read could easily have been one-fifth as long. That's generally speaking true for, for nonfiction books. But that's not true with Hoffman's books. He he cuts it down to the bone. It's short and it's funny and it's and it's a quick read. Hoffman believes in advertising, but he's absolutely sure that programmatic is the worst side, worst side of it and is mostly useless. Uh, in fact, he blames programmatic advertising and the things that come along with it, the tracking and the cookies and everything else. Um, he blames that for a lot of social ills. And there's some there's some good evidence for that. You should look up a guy named Jonathan Haidt who covers similar sorts of things. AdScan claims ad fraud has become pervasive because advertisers no longer buy ads from the people who display them. And the system for buying the ads is largely incomprehensible. And by that, he doesn't mean that it's hard to figure out how to buy them. They make that relatively easy. What's incomprehensible is what's actually happening. You know, if you buy an ad in, in a print magazine, you can go buy the print magazine and see your ad. If you buy your ad on a website, you just kind of hope that it's there because it's really, you can't go see it because you're not part of the target audience, right? You're buying it for some mystical audience somewhere. You're not even positive that the ad is showing up. Hoffman says that ad fraud falls into three buckets, fraudulent audiences, fraudulent websites, and fraudulent clicks. When you put it all together, ad fraud, according to Hoffman, is one of the largest frauds in history, and only 3% of programmatic ad purchases result in actual ads seen by people. That's pretty awful. On a related note, I recently saw a study, well, a story about a study, that said ads work best when they're next to relevant content, which seems pretty obvious, right? So structure your ad spend accordingly. Put your ads next to relevant content and buy your ads from the people who place the ads on the site. All right, the next article is called Sources for New Product Ideas. And the key takeaways are use data as a source of and check on product ideas. A customer data platform is a great tool for this. Uh, don't confuse people what lo- what people like with what they're willing to pay for, and look for ways to turn customer interactions into data. Now, you know, editors' opinions are great, and the boss's crazy idea from a cocktail party is an idea, right? You get all these ideas that come into the hopper, but the it's good to use data to come up with ideas and to fine-tune ideas that you've already have to verify or to discredit hunches. Analytics can give a good hint. You, know, you notice that a lot of people viewed a particular article, so you say, okay, maybe we can build on that, do other articles in that same topic or build a product around that, that concept or that article, and that's a good approach. I. I I have to remind myself that generally speaking, I'm not a fan of entirely ad-based products. That's just my bias. I there's nothing wrong with ad-based products, obviously, but my bias is towards the subscription side, towards trying to sell something. And my, my friend Chris Moffa likes to say, there's all the difference in the world between someone who will spend a dollar and someone who won't. And the fact that a bunch of people are viewing an article is a good thing, but that doesn't mean they're willing to give you any money. Right, so if you have a subscription model or a paid model, then traffic by itself is not necessarily an indication of a good product. It might be for an ad-supported model, but not for a paid model. So, when I hear, you know, lots of people are viewing this content, great, but are they willing to pay? That's that's another uh, question entirely. A customer data platform can help where analytics fails because a customer data platform can help you sort through who are the people who are viewing this content. Are they my customers or are they other people, right? And you can you can make audiences around that and you can get dig deeper into how people are, are dealing with your content. Another way to look for product ideas is to mine uh, customer comments. And it's good to listen in on calls with customer service. It's good to have the customer service reps give you summaries, uh, but better yet, try to find a way to turn customer interactions into data. In other words, 10% of our audience is asking about tablets or, or whatever it is. Try to find a way to, to take the customer interactions and turn it into some form that you can actually get extract information from it. Right? You know, The customer data platform and customer comments are all part of the reality, which is that customers are throwing information at us constantly. And often we're just not listening. Not, we don't know what to listen for and what to hear about what they're telling us about our products and about what, what they like. Social media, I'm being a little bit of a joker here, but you know, if your market is disgruntled baboons, then by all means, get your product ideas from Twitter. I'm not a huge fan of social media and I don't think social media is a good guide for paid products. It might be helpful for Uh, Ad-supported things. If you just want to see what people are interested in in reading, right? Uh, Q and A sessions at events provide good qualitative feedback, but you need to quantify what you hear with further research. And uh, earlier this year, I went to the IIEX conference in Austin, and there was a lot there about market research. And I'm mostly in the publishing space, and it made me wonder why don't publishers do more of this? I don't really understand. I think I think publishers do need to look more into the uh, qualitative research quantitative and qualitative research to help them refine ideas and refine their products. Finally, data can tell you if your customers are using your service the way you think they are. right? You know if people looking at your, an easy way to look at this is with your email service provider, what are people clicking on? It can tell you, I'm putting in five articles, but they always click on this article. or you know they click on all five or they click on none, whatever it is. The, the data that you can get from your how your customers are actually using your content should then inform what you can do about new products. All right, so another thing I mentioned in the letter is that I have a, a video on CDP use cases for publishers. Now, I can't really summarize the video in this video, but if you go to my website, crablegroup.com, you can see the video. It's called CDP use cases for publishers. It's a 12-minute video and I explained the benefits publishers can reap from using a customer data platform. And I outlined 14 use cases in that video. That's not exhaustive, of course. Publishers are different. There's hundreds of use cases you can conceptually come up with. Things such as customized emails in response to uh, a visitor's online activity. In other words, someone goes to a certain area of your website, and if if you have their email address, you can send them an email in response to what they, them visiting that area of your site, you can encourage online renewals. You can manage different levels of access, like a paywall. There's a lot there. If you're interested in customer data platforms, if you're a publisher, uh, look up the video. <laughs> this next one, the article is called My Kids Are Always on TikTok. And the takeaways are lots of people doesn't mean lots of your people. And one company's success might be an outlier. And Consider the opportunity cost before you invest in TikTok or or anything, any other thing for that matter. From time to time, you get, you know, everybody's on this. Everybody's doing this. We should do this. Well, maybe. Everybody is uh, at the football game. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're the right people for your product. And it's not just a question of, are they the right people? It's also, is, is that the right time? But before you invest in TikTok or any of these other places, think, are they your target market? Or, I mean, obviously, all of TikTok is, you have to find, can you find your market on TikTok as a subgroup? Uh, Are they the sort of people who might buy your product and pay for such things if you have a a paid subscription product or non-subscription? And are they in the mood to buy something when they're in that environment? I remember one time I was on the DC Metro and there was a preacher and he was, you know, preaching to people on the metro. And I was thinking, you know, some people here might be sympathetic to your message, but this really isn't the time or the place. And people are tired of trying to get home. This isn't the right opportunity. So the question is, you want to find the right group of people. You want to find people who are willing to pay and you want to find them at the right time. So if you can do all those things on TikTok, great. We often also hear stories about okay, this company did all these fantastic things and they're making a killing on TikTok. Yeah, okay. And Michael Jordan did very well in basketball. That doesn't mean you will, right? So just because somebody has done fabulously well on TikTok doesn't necessarily mean you will. You might. Maybe it's worth a try. People have encouraged me to give it a try. I think I might give it a try. We'll see. But don't think that just because other people made a success that you're going to, and then lastly, consider the opportunity cost. You know, what What are you not doing with because you're spending time on TikTok? All right. Uh, I have an ad here for the podcast, which you're obviously listening to. And then I have an article called CDP Implementation Mistakes to Avoid. This is an article that's available on my website. Uh, it's really easy to make a mess of a CDP implementation. And too many companies buy into the hype without really thinking it through and, and understanding what they're doing. And then a couple years later, they think, you know, where did all that money go? So here are 10 things to avoid. Don't rush it. It's very easy to think I want to get quick wins. But if you rush it, you'll regret it. A mistake is to fail to think carefully about identity. And I could go on about email addresses and how to establish identity in a CDP all day. But um, you really need to think carefully about how you're going to decide uh, who your customers are, how you're going to merge records and all that sort of thing. It's a mistake to stick to one source of truth. The mythology of the customer data platform is that you're going to create the golden record that combines all your information from all your places. And, and that's the goal. And you get towards that, but you never really get there. Sometimes there are other sources of truth that you need to take into account. Like your ESP might be a source of truth. That That's the source of truth for people who are signed up to your e-newsletter. It's not the CDP. Or maybe you want it in the CDP. Just don't think that everything has to be, the CDP has to be the source of truth for everything. That's not always the case. Um, don't overlook analytics. Uh, CDP is like analytics, but not precisely. I have an, an article on the Martech website about CDP versus analytics you might want to look at. It's a mistake to ignore organizational silos. You, know, you don't want just marketing to run everything about the CDP. You want to make sure that that there's buy-in everywhere. It's a mistake to not have a leader. Somebody should own the project. It's a mistake to forget time-based requirements. And what I mean by that is some CDPs have like a right now snapshot of your customers. But if you're a publisher, especially if you're a subscription publisher, you need to see what's been going on over time. So you don't want a right now picture, you want a over time picture. So you need to make sure that you structure the way you collect data and the way you store it and the way you can query it to accommodate that kind of long-term, overtime evaluation of your customers. It's a mistake to ignore capacity issues. You don't want to buy into crazy integration claims. Some people will say, well, we can integrate with everybody. Sure you can, but have you? Have you really done it? Um, Do you already have an integration? Give me some examples, let me talk to some customers who have that integration, make sure it really works. It's also a mistake to overlook how the invoice is gonna be calculated. You can find out late down the road that there are a lot of costs that you didn't anticipate, that they're charging you based, there's a lot of different ways to charge for a CDP, right? Like the total number of connections, the total number of known connections, total amount of data that you're using, there's a lot of ways to do it. So make sure you look at that carefully and see how you're going to be charged in the long haul. But anyway, if you want to read the longer version, you can go to my website, crablegroup.com, and you can find it there. I go through all those things a little more carefully. And then finally, I have a question for people in the event space, and that is, does hybrid really work? And I love live conferences and and, uh, virtual conferences are okay. Hybrid is the mix, right? You have live and you have virtual. And this sounds like a good idea, but in my experience and with most of the people I've asked this question, they find out that it really doesn't work very well in, in reality, that like the Q&A's don't work very well, the people on the virtual side don't feel like they're really part of the conference. And I'm just curious, is that really the case? Do you feel that way? Have you Have you been on the virtual side of a hybrid conference and felt that you were part of the conference? What was your experience like? I'm curious. So send me an email, comment on my website, uh, give me a call. Call me at 240-687-1230. How many podcasts give out a phone number, right? All right, so that is the latest edition of the Crable Letter. You can learn more at CrabbleGroup.com. Thank you much for very much for listening and hope you enjoy it.